Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Paddock and the Pavilion for the first of our festive five podcasts. With me, your host, Stephen Wallace. Opening the batting, as he used to do for Western Australia, is Ryan Campbell, now the head coach of Durham County Cricket Club, who last season won Division 2 of the County Championship by a mammoth 66 points. Ryan reflects on Durham's outstanding season and looks ahead with confidence to the return to the top division in 2024. The former Dutch coach gives his forthright thoughts on the English cricketing calendar, the 100, the Ashes and the recent Men's World Cup. If you love your cricket, enjoy 45 minutes with Ryan. Welcome back to the Paddock and the Pavilion, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Well, to start with, congratulations on your first season with Durham, winning Division 2 and securing promotion to Division 1 of the County Championship. Yeah, thanks, mate. It's, um, you know, I guess looking back now on a pretty successful season, the the excitement, I reckon, that was generated up in, here in the northeast with the way we went about the game, and you know, a lot of guys had outstanding seasons, which was fantastic. And um, you know, to win, not just to win, but to win in the, I guess, the fashion we did was, you know, filled the guys, you know, with lots of confidence. And you know, now we look forward to take on the big challenge of going into Division One, and you know, taking on the, uh, the big boys, so to speak. Yeah, seven years since relegation. You were six in 2022, not you personally, but Durham. A campaign where you only lost one match, and that was the very first game against Sussex. Well, and, you know, the funny thing is, um, after playing that game, I kind of walked away and thought to myself, you know what, we actually almost played the perfect game of cricket to start. We had a... I reckon a 30-minute period in the second innings where the blokes actually went into their shelves a little bit and we lost wickets. And instead of being that brave, take-the-game-on um, way we wanted to bat, and it was a great learning curve. And, you know, at the end of the game, I just spoke about that 30 minutes and, you know, how that was a great opportunity for us to actually put the foot on the, on the accelerator, absorb the pressure and then give it back. And... I think the players understood where we were coming from then. And, um, you know, we came back here and played Worcester the next game. And I reckon it was the the morning of the fourth day. And it wasn't me who pushed it, although I was about to. But it was the players that said, OK, we're going to declare now and we're going to put the game on the line and, and we're, going to win to, we're going to win this game of cricket. And, you know, to me... You know, I think we set 320 or something or 70 overs, which is not at all, you know, it's not a, from what the the norm had been. But the the I guess the positivity and the faith that our players had 
with their bowling staff and the fact that they wanted to put the game on the line and a chance to lose, but a more importantly, a great chance to win, I knew I had them. And I knew I, that, uh, that my message had got across and I knew right then that we were going to win the league. And, and that's, I know that's sounding a bit like I'm, I'm thinking I'm a prophet or something, but just the, the twinkle in their eye and then they went out and the way they played and, you know, knocked Worcester over and got the win, it was just, a, you know, I just knew we had ticked that box and, and the belief would have been swelling. And, um, you know, I know that sounds silly, but we'd only won one game, but I knew right then we were going to win the league. Well, the first game, you only lost narrowly against Sussex by two wickets. And your second game, when you're talking about Worcestershire, they were the team that, that came second in the table. Yep. Yeah, like, like I say, it was a great test early on in the in the year for us to, to in, embed how I wanted to go about the, the way we wanted to play. And, you know, all credit, you know, I can, I can come here and say, oh, look, I wanted to do it my way, but... Mate, the facts are the credit goes to the players. They believed in it. They trusted it. And then they just took it, took it between the teeth and went for it. And, and, you know, the way they played, the fearless brand that they showed, um, you know, I think our, everyone talks about our scoring rates higher than any other team in the, in either of the competitions. Um, you know, that, that was one element of it. But the fact that then we had the bowling staff to go about and take 20 wickets on more occasions than we didn't, um, you know, that won us games. And like I say, I, I think this group of players have a, have a really strong belief now that they can win games of cricket from any situation. Talking about the scoring rate, I read in the Cricketer that the first innings, the run rate was over four in 11 of the first innings of the 14 matches. And you scored more than 450 eight times, which really underlines what you've just said, really. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think, um, you know, my batting coach <laughs> who came with me from the Netherlands, James Hildich, who did a fantastic job, points out to me quite often that we had more batting points than the, than the in the history of all of Durham ever has, has got, even though, the, you know, they had changed the point system and stuff like that. So, mate, it just said about the way that we wanted to go. And... and you know, I, I was I've said this all along to you. I hate draws. I hate games just meandering on. And you know, for us to set up games of cricket, we knew that we had to score at a rate that gave time in the match for us to take twenty wickets. Um, and you know, the players believed in that. And to be honest, it, it also, you know, when you got guys like Ollie Robson and Graham Clark and Alex Lee's, all these sort of guys. They want to be themselves and they want to play the way they want to play. And, you know, hopefully we've created a nice environment for them to do that. And away they went. Picking up on a couple of players you mentioned there, Alex Lees um, scored more runs than anyone else in first-class cricket last summer. Um, how impressed were you You bought, were you by the, the England international and could he get back in the England side? Oh, mate, look, Alex, we all know, is probably one of the best you know, red ball batters in first-class cricket around the world, to be honest. He, you know, his numbers stack up against anyone. And he, he obviously has a point to prove. He wants to play test cricket. And, and, you know, my job here as the Durham head coach is to help players become England players. And, and you know, we set about the way we wanted him to play. And to be honest, in the first half of the season, he was quite frustrating um, because his, his scoring rates had gone through the roof 
um, and he was making 40 literally every time he went out to bat and then would get out with, you know, just a mental pause or, or maybe trying to go a bit hard a bit too too often. Um, but, when, you know, we, we had a good conversation about that. And, and you know, when you've got someone like Alex, he understands the game so well. And, you know, I put him up there, you know, with a guy I played a lot with in Justin Langer, where their mental toughness can get them through any situation. And, you know, he we obviously pointed out what was happening when he got to in the 40s, and we didn't want to make it a big issue, but I wanted him to push on. I, you know, the fact that he wanted to change the way he was perceived and, and score quicker to get get picked for England, of course, that that's the way England play now. So he was trying to do that. But, you know, my I guess my point to him was, that you still got to score an absolute mountain of runs that they can't ignore. And if you do that, then they're going to stop and, and say, oh, well, hang on a minute. And then also look, oh, look, look at the way he's gone about it as well. So, you know, all credit to Alex. He did that. He, you know, there was a period there, I think he made five or six hundreds in a row and it was it was just ridiculous. He, he was playing on another a wicket, to be honest, uh, the way he played. So um, I guess the test now is, what happens next? You know, does he get picked for England? Because let's be honest, you know, Duckett and Crawley are, are an established pair now. So, you know, where does he fit in? Could he bat at number three for England? No doubt. But how are they going to see him? That's going to be interesting. You know, you always know that I reckon when they go to the subcontinent, for some reason, I, I, again, I, I've got nothing against Keating Jennings. I think he's a fine player, but he seems to be the guy they look to on the subcontinent, whereas Alex, I don't understand why they wouldn't look at Alex because if you look at his scoring rates against spinners, he's actually just as good as anyone else. So, um, you know, that Indian series will be an interesting uh, point of who they play and who they tour, who, who's the extra batter that goes on tour with them. Um, so, yeah, but fingers crossed for Alex because, like I say, at the end of the day, hey, he's too good a player not to be playing test cricket. That, that's the, the ultimate truth. And, you know, if he doesn't get back into that test team at some point, it's probably going to be one of the most unlucky players to have gone around. And Graham Clark, you mentioned him. I, I was reading that he'd played seven first-class matches in, in four years and this season he scored 818 runs at 58. Mate, it's, um, you know, as a coach, every now and again you get one right because normally you get a 1,000 wrong and you get pointed out for the ones that you get wrong. But, um, look, at the end of the day, did I take a punt on Graham Clark? 100%. But for me, if I'm coming in saying we don't want draws, we want to change the culture, there's no safety net the way you play, I also needed an example to show that I was willing to back someone and I was willing to put my chips on on a guy that's, let's be honest here, bleeds Durham and is so part of the core group of, the, of this establishment, basically. And if I could get him to be a success story, I felt that the whole group would just be elated and just be, you know, almost become bulletproof. And, you know, we, we stuck with him at the start of the year. He showed glimpses that you thought, oh, almost, almost. And I'll be honest, there was a time, I think, fourth game when he was probably averaging 20, high 20s, early 30s. And 
I guess the selection panel got together and his name came up and I kind of said, well, here's the defining moments for us as, as coaches and as selectors. Do we live by what we say and create that safe environment and stick with a player and give him another chance or do we fold basically and and move it on and change it, which we could have done. You know, Liam Travaskas was going really well with a batter, with the bat and I think he made 80 not out in, in the game down at Glamorgan and, you know, we could have gone with him, but something just kept saying to me that we got to play Graham Clark again and thankfully, you know, he took off from there and I think it was the backing that we gave him and the support that we showed for him. He grabbed the bit with both teeth, within his teeth and just ran with it and, you know, when you look at, oh, you know, you guys wouldn't have seen it, but... Alex Lees at, at our trophy presentation actually broke down in tears talking about Graham Clark and the season he had and how he probably should have been the player's player of the year. That's what he means to us here at Durham. And, and you know, that's a sign that this group is very close and they want players to do well. And members would always love a, a Durham person, wouldn't they? He'd, yeah. In the side, yeah. A hundred percent. And, you know, the facts are that, up here in the northeast, we're very parochial and, and, you know, we want our locals to do well. But my job is also to make this team better and to continue to build it into what I hope to be the best team in England. And that means you do have to keep bringing, you know, occasionally guys in from the outside. And, and, and we're doing that this year. And, you know, that that's going to test everyone and, and, and the members because I, I know no doubt that if a couple of the new guys don't go well early, the Oh, they're not from Durham. That'll that'll come up. And why do we sign outsiders? But you know, we have to grow the game here, and we have to grow our squad, our strength, and our depth um, if we want to be competitive in this first division. Bowling wise, you had the two leading bowlers in Division Two as well, with Ben Rain sixty wickets and Matt Potts with fifty four. Yeah, look again, outstanding. Uh, like I say, a lot of um, credit goes to the batting staff, but. You know, all the bowlers did such a wonderful job. You know, at times we were down to the bare bones with injuries and, and England call-ups, but, you know, that's the nature of the beast. But every time we were almost down, uh, someone would stand up. And, you know, generally it was either Matthew or particularly Ben who, you know, leads our attack. And, um, you know, those those two were outstanding. And it's wonderful to see both Potts and Cast being, you know, put up for England selection and, you know, going to the Caribbean because, you know, those boys were outstanding and that was our point of difference. Their pace and their constant attacking of the batters tested all all comers and, um, you know, if they're to keep pushing on in their careers, they want to play for England, you know, and, and that that hurts <laughs> Durham people and it hurts us as a, as a squad. Um, but like I say, we're one of the foundation stones of English cricket and, you know, my job will always be to produce England players. Um, you know, I think, I hate to say it, but I think some counties forget that sometimes that, you know, it is about producing players for England. If you want a great English cr- cricket team in test cricket or white ball, counties have to produce the players. It's not England that produce players, it's the counties. And, you know, that's our job and we'll continue to do so. So. Um, yeah, I think Potts and Cast particularly will be fantastic. Ben Rain obviously is a guy that you know we're, we're going to have here at Durham and continue to push, and he'll be tested. 
You know, Ben's never played in the first division before. So he's going to be tested for the first time in his career. So there's lots of wonderful questions that will be answered over this next year or so with Durham Creek. Brigitte. Just moving to the to the white ball, uh, seventh in the blast and fifth in the Metro Bank group. Uh, how did you feel that uh, camp those, those two campaigns went? Oh, mate, we, we clearly underachieved. You know, as I've said to the players afterwards, yes, in, in the history of Durham, we've always been probably more red ball orientated, and that's just the way cricket is up here. But you know, when you bring in myself as the head coach with a background of, you know, coaching the Dutch and Hong Kong and those sort of one-day 50 over T20 sort of spheres, you know, I want us to be a very good white ball team and we should be a very good white ball team. Um, but unfortunately, what I will say, and I hate using excuses, but in the T20 blast particularly, our bowling stocks were decimated. You know, Bryden Cass, uh, Matthew Potts, Coglin, I think between the three of them may have bowled two overs in the whole blast campaign, which, you know, we just couldn't cover it, to be honest. You know, Parnell was brought in at the expense of David Beddington as our overseas player. Literally, I wouldn't say we panicked, but the facts were we had we were so low on bowlers that we had to change our whole philosophy of what we were going to do because originally that wasn't the plan. You know, David Bettingham would have played in in the T20 Blast team, but we just literally had no bowlers left. Um, and, and you know, at the start of that tournament, you know, we were more competitive. We scored more runs than we ever have done in the past. We went over 200 more times than we've ever done in the past. We were scoring at a rate that was faster than we've ever done in the past. So there was lots of good things, but we literally just couldn't contain sides, which has always been our strength up here. So. Um, you know, that was a great learning curve. And, of course, you know, when you turn, talk about the 50-over cricket, that, that's we were very disappointing. But in saying that, you know, we lost seven or eight players to the, to the 100. And I know most counties do that, but we're not a massive county. And if you take eight of our best players out, you know, we got to find our stocks. And our stocks, although some of our youngsters had, had good tournaments, we showed flashes, but again, we weren't quite up to the up to the mark. So, you know, that, that gives us a real focus for this year, you know, to turn around our white ball. You know, Alex Lees is our white ball captain. Man, he he's he doesn't want to be an ordinary team. He he's desperate for this white ball team to be successful. So, you know, he'll drive that. And we we you know, we we're bringing in Ackerman and Parkinson, who are all-round good cricketers who are very, very good at white ball as well. You know, that immediately will change our, I guess, our makeup of our team, which therefore, you know, we've also brought in Boland, obviously, that, you know, people are reading about, who hasn't played a lot of T20, but we know he's going to be very good at it. You know, for instance, Parkinson and Boland will probably bowl four of the six overs in the power play. And the power play was our biggest issue because we didn't have anyone who bowl in the power play. So all of a sudden... You know, we're addressing one issue there straight away, um, which should theoretically make us a better white ball cricket team and a better T20 team. So, yeah, the, the plans are uh, are in place and, you know, the change is afoot. For instance, our pre-season, our, our batting, um, you know, I think three of the four weeks will be on white ball. 
in a month and the, you know one week will be on Red Bull. That, that's the, the change of focus we're trying to do here. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can uh, be as competitive, competitive as, as possible next year. Because the games in the, the white ball, they do come thick and fast. And if you've got injuries, then th- there's a lot of things to cover, isn't there? Well, that's the thing. It's, you know, the schedules, again, I'm not here to be political. It it doesn't make it perfect to, for preparation. I know this year there's probably more double headers than we've ever had before. And history and the stats show that if you've got a double header, I think you lose 72% of the games. The second game, you lose 72% of the time, which is not a great stat that you, that you want sitting over your head. So... You know, we're going to have to find ways and, and and theories around it. You know, as we all know, again, we're not boohooing about where we are, but we do travel more than pretty much anyone in, in, in the competition. So um, I'm still, as an Aussie, still can't quite believe that Birmingham is north and uh, teams like that are, are in the north group. But apparently if you're above London, you're north. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a great eye-opener for me. On the subject of the, of the schedule, just a, a quick question. What do you think of the 100? You've mentioned the 100 does deprive Durham of quite a lot of players. Is it good for the county game? Oh, look, again, I say it's good because I think every county gets 1.3 million. <laughs> so that's a pretty good reason. You know, um, you, you can't you know bite the hands that feed you, basically. And if that's the way English cricket needed to go, to bankroll county cricket, then you know what? We all got to suck it up. Is it perfect? Could we maybe play 50 over cricket earlier in the season um, to try and, you know, get through that competition? Because let's be honest here, England just had a horrible World Cup and they've got three or four years now to rebuild and, and start afresh and get their 50 over cricket back on track. But how are you going to do that if no one plays 50 over cricket? All your best players aren't playing 50 over cricket. And it's easy to say, oh, yeah, but everyone plays T20, they'll, they'll just change the game. But I think what we saw in India, you actually can't. You, you actually need experience. You, it's almost back to the days where you need your test players who can also play 50 over cricket. And then with a bit of T20 thrown in at the end where, you know, scoring rates can go through the roof. So... I think it's an interesting one. I, I honestly haven't got the answer to it all. All all I know is, as someone who coached internationally and preparing for T20 games, you need to prepare players and you need to have them physically fresh and you need to have them focused on on your opposition and, you know, how we work nowadays with analyst systems and all that. You want to plan accordingly. And the way it's all structured at the moment is very oh, well, it's pretty much you rock up and keep your fingers crossed and hope that your players are ready to go. Um, but you need a bigger squad. It's okay for, I reckon, the bigger squads where they have red ball bowlers and white ball bowlers, things like that. Um, and, again, the last thing I'm to hear is to boo-hoo and, you know, moan about poor us. We'll find a way. But I think if you're looking to play optimal, optimally, Somehow we've got to find a way to schedule it a little bit better. On the World Cup, as an Aussie, you must be on a high with Australia winning the World Cup and the Netherlands you know, winning two games against test-playing nations. Yeah, it was fantastic. I've got to check myself sometimes because 
obviously, as the Aussie, I cop a bit of stick, as I did throughout the whole Ashes journey and, uh, you know, from the players and stuff. And when the Aussies do well, I'm almost too quick to want to text and say, hey, cop that, you blokes. And I forget sometimes I've got the captain of England uh, on that uh, WhatsApp group as well as Mark Wood and these sort of guys. So I've got to be a bit careful. But um, honestly, I think Australia played magnificent cricket in the final. I think we'll all agree that India were the best team in that tournament. But that's why, and as I I tell my eight-year-old son all the time, it's why we have finals. It's why Australia always has finals in every competition you have. You don't just play a league and whoever finishes on top wins the league. You've got to go then go through the finals because you've got to perform on the big day and you've got to be able to absorb the pressure and give it back. And that's what Australia did. They, they did their research the way that they were brave enough to bowl first against India, who had continued to make runs, but their their theory was sound with, you know, the wickets and all that sort of stuff. So, look, I, I thought it was fantastic that Australia ended up winning. India, it felt like it was all pretty much made for India to win that World Cup because, you know, the way it was all going, but these things happened. Of course, incredibly proud of the Dutch team. Um, you know, I think when I look at that squad, I think 14 of the 15 players, you know, I looked after for five or six years of my life, you know, nurturing them from, you know, some of them 16, 17-year-olds to, you know, an Aryan Dutt who we picked on a, on a tour when people laughed at me and Buster later, people kept questioning me why I kept picking him. And But at the end of the day, you know, and again, I was always about leaving the place in a better position than when I started. You know, I think I left the keys to a pretty good car that the coaching staff there have done a fantastic job. You know, there's a belief that the Super League did so much for the belief of that that squad, you know, playing against the best players in the world. And despite we didn't win, but we were getting into positions where we should have won games and we learnt a lot. And those players weren't overawed then when you're playing against the big teams. And, and you know, you go to a World Cup, you, you don't want to just make up the numbers. And and you had the feeling, you know, when they beat Bangladesh, I just watched that game and I was lucky enough to be commentating for BBC. And I walked away from there going, that wasn't a surprise. It, it felt like when you watch that the Dutch were the top, one of the top 10 teams and Bangladesh was an associate. They... You know, it it made them look so professional in the way they went about it. So, and of course, beating South Africa, you know, with what South Africa were doing was a fantastic performance. So, you know, we got pretty good memories of what we did to them in the T20 World Cup last year. And now we'll have pretty good memories of of the World Cup. I still say we, which I've got to let that go. It's, um, you know, it's, it's hard. My son, my, my son and my daughter still watch Dutch TV every morning. So I'm, I'm surrounded by the Dutchies in my in my own house still. So, um, but yeah, good performance. But again, without being political, I will now say what comes next for the Dutch. They've done really well. But mate, there's every chance they won't play another ODI against the full member for the next four years. and. You know, they're saying that without the World Cricket, uh, the Super League, it's all going to be on rankings. So very hard to get your rankings up if you're never playing any teams in the top 10. So 
you know, it'll probably go back to those same old 10 teams that you get and maybe a qualifier somewhere around the track. And that's a shame in my book. I could be very political there, but I'm not going to get into it. We've only got 15 minutes, haven't we? <laughs> I've got as long as you like, really, but uh, I've got my notes here. It says, just hope they can continue to progress. But uh, ODI matches versus best sides for their development. But will that happen? And no. is there the will from the other teams to play them as well? Well, mate, again, people talk a good game, but then you get, um, you know, unfortunately, administrators who, who um you know, you, you just have to look at that India versus Australia T20 series going on at the moment. Like any normal cricket-minded person would never have scheduled that, but administrators needing to cash in, you know, they put that. So are they going to actually think, oh, yeah, let's go help the Dutch out or should we help Scotland out or should we help even teams like Ireland out? I, I don't think that's ever going to happen. That You know, the World Cricket League will start again. Uh, the Dutch will go back into that. They'll play teams like Nepal and Oman and Scotland. And, and no disrespect, Namibia, no disrespect to them because they're all really good growing teams. But they're going to be the same. They, 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 they want to play against the big boys too because they need to to get better. Um, but if it never happens, then, yeah, it, it is a bit of a shame because I felt, speaking to people around, that, you know, most people – would turn the TV on and watch the Dutch play because they wanted the underdog to do well. And, you know, they, they gave them an, an interest at the World Cup, which is, you know, like I say, you would hope that something good of it. Of course, it now goes to the, the Dutch administrators to see what they can produce. I hope that while they're at the World Cup, they were sitting in boxes with opposition teams trying to find ways to play. I don't know if that happened. You you just don't know what's going on behind the scenes. So, um, yeah, look, they've got a T20 World Cup to go to next year. Um, you know, I've no doubt that they'll be aiming pretty much everything towards that. So, yeah, oh, I just keep my fingers crossed, that's all. Well, they were thrilling to watch. I mean, in the field, you know, the, the, the commitment, the enthusiasm and as I recently spoke to one of your players, Paul Van Maker, and the, the, the ability in the field, you just you were willing on the Netherlands when you were watching them. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing. That's the And that's the one thing that, you know, as a cricket coach, you always say to your players, you know, it, it's all about commitment and what's going through your mind of if you're going to be a good fielder or not. Because if you have that desire, it's the one thing that we can control. You know, as a batter, you might get knocked over first ball. As a bowler, you might bowl crap, but you know there's every the the one given in cricket is that you have to feel the whole time. And how can you um, make an impact on a game of cricket is by being the gun fielding side, you know. And that's what they did. I I, I reckon you know everything I've said and how proud I was and, and how well they played. I will say they still didn't play very well. And I know that sounds weird, but you know they won two games. They were competitive, but if you look at it, if you if you delve into it, they really didn't play as well as what they should have. The, the opening pair in O'Dowd and Vikram Singh were disappointing. Um, no batter really was a standout, which, again, was a bit of a shame because they were always batting, I reckon, under pressure after losing early wickets. And the bowlers, some were okay. I think Ari and Dutt was fantastic, but, you know, the medium paces were okay without going great. So. 
that that's the thing for me. It's always like you walk away frustrated. And I spoke to their coach the other day. It's like I felt I was frustrated because you didn't play at an optimum level. But like you said, you know, you just couldn't maintain it for long enough. And that's the difference between good and bad teams. They played maybe 60 or 70 overs of good cricket, but not 100 all the time. And like I say, that that's just the difference in international players, the depth of talent, all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, there was some good and some not so good stuff as well. Just a, a, a short mention on the Ashes. Uh, fair result to all? They, oh, to be honest, I've heard that much rubbish about the Ashes this year. I actually thought some parts of it was boring as hell, the way that, you know, some of the fields and the bounces and all that sort of stuff, that wasn't as exciting as everyone spoke about. I thought the batting was okay. England made some stupid mistakes at stupid times. And, again, you can say Baz Ball is what it is and goes for it, and I love it. I love the aggression, but they didn't play very well. And I think Australia actually played okay without being exceptional as well. So in the end of the day, it goes away 2-2. Is, what, what, what are they calling it, a moral victory to England or something? Oh, I don't get what that means. Um, the facts are they didn't retain the Ashes. Then I hear stories that it was the greatest test team ever assembled from England's point of view, which, hey, give me a spell. What are you on about? Yeah, you, you can't even win a series if you're the greatest ever team in the history of Test cricket. Come on, Australia in the late '90s when they won 16 matches in a row, probably the greatest team. Or the West Indies of that unbelievable '80s and '90s era. But I think it was almost like people use baseball as a I don't know. It's almost like a cult. You have to talk about it wonderfully and blah blah blah. But in the end of the day. You've got to win games of cricket, and generally they will. Don't get me wrong. I'm a massive fan of the way they're going about their batting. But if you don't produce wins, people are going to start picking it apart. And, you know, I know Nathan Lyon's copying a bit of crap for what he said afterwards, but no, I don't, I'm not surprised that the Aussies pick it apart and say, well, hang on a minute, it, it's a phase. Is it good? Is it bad? Well, it's just a phase. It's just their style. It's not the style everyone wants to play. It's not the style that everyone should play, but it's a style. And there's some great players in that team that do a really good job because that's their brand of cricket. So, yeah, let them go for it. But is it the best team? I'm not sure. No disrespect, but, you know, Johnny Bairstow's wicket-keeping was poor in that, you know, in the, in the five tests which cost them. Should he be the wicket keeper? Probably not. But they're trying to fit him in somehow because his batting is so good, which I, I get, I understand. But you still got to get your best cricket team on the park. You know, Ben Folks is an amazing wicket keeper. Somehow they got to find a spot for him. England cricket need to find a bowling staff. Because let's be honest, it was the oldest bowling um, squad they've ever put on the park. And that's for me... As, a, as the Durham coach, when I look around in Division 2, some of the bowlers are exceptionally talented, but they're not test cr cricketers. And then so this year when I watch it first division, I'm going to watch and I might change my opinion. But that English-style bowler, 
that bowls 100 – I'm sorry, I, I'm still talking in kilometres, but bowls 125 kilometres an hour who nips it around, it might be great in county cricket. Test cricket doesn't work because the wickets are flatter, the batters are better, and you've got to find it. And hence why there's been a real push for pace. And I, I get it. I 100% agree with it. You know, you've got to have ball speed. And, you know, it's probably why we're talking about using kookaburra balls and things like that here in England to try and make youngsters want to bowl faster. It's why Carson Potts are being spoken about. It's why Josh Tung, Tung came about. It's why we love Mark Wood. Um, that's what England need to do. That's why Joffa Archer is such a big loss because they're natural ball speed players. And, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see what comes because in, in, honest, in all honesty, the 50-over game, when you look at the World Cup, England have been an outstanding white ball team for four or five years. They deserve all the plaudits. But what it did do was cover the fact their bowling wasn't very good. Their batting, if you look at the history of English cricket, all the, the, the Morgan era was unbelievable how they went about the game. But they generally got hit for a lot as well. And I reckon that kind of got covered over a little bit. A guy like um, a Plunkett did a really good job for them. But once you took Archer out, then you had players. And like I said, I looked at their bowlers and you thought, okay, really good bowlers. But is that is that the best bowling attack that you can have in a World Cup? And probably the answer was no. And, and that's where now the refurb, I guess the the start again that Matthew Mott has to do and a little bit McCullum will have to do with, you know, Broad and maybe Anderson has got a little bit of time left. You've got to find bowlers and you've got to find a bowling staff. And that's that, I think, is the number one priority for English cricket because the batting, mate, there's so many great batters out there, youngsters coming through who can whack, whack the ball in all sorts of areas. But you need bowlers. You need to take 20 wickets to win a test match. And generally, you need to take 10 wickets in an ODI if you want to be, you know, in a dominant position to win that game. Well, thank you very much. It's always enjoyable to hear your thoughts on uh, international cricket, uh, Ryan. Coming up tomorrow in our next Festive Five podcast, you will be hearing from former national hunt jockey Jacob Pritchard-Webb who, after his life-changing fall in June 2020, is now pursuing a successful career on Sky Sports Racing and in the Bloodstock world. Take a listen to Jacob in episode 78, The Fall and Racing Career, UK and France, and episode 79, Pushing Through the Barriers. Moving forward to 2024, we mentioned off-air that the players are already back in your first game looking on your website there's a game in march yeah it comes thick and fast um yeah we'll play the university um i think we'll also play maybe yorkshire or someone like that uh, you know in a in a practice friendly um at the end of march we plan to go to zimbabwe again um for a pre-season tour which will incorporate us playing in the the t20 competition in zimbabwe um again trying to address um, our our white ball failures, so to speak, and you know, trying to really promote the youngsters and, and get to way to know the way we want to play our T20 cricket. Um, so that should get us into you know 
find fettle to to get going. I mean, the the one interesting thing for Durham this year is that we've got so many people away in Lions tours, maybe possible Test tours, the Caribbean tour. Uh, we've got four or uh, three or four in the under nineteens. Uh, England World Cup squad who will go away as well. So you know, training here is quite weird with such a, a small squad and and players playing more cricket than they've ever done before, which is really good for them. Um, but I look forward to getting everyone back for for a couple of weeks before Zimbabwe, just to you know get in get in sync again and and, and spell out what we want to do this year. And you know, I think it's a really exciting time for Durham. You know, going back into the first division, we don't want to just make up the numbers. We're you know we're going to try and win the whole thing. And if we do that and we fall a little bit short, then you know what we probably had a pretty good year. But if we get it right, who knows what could happen. You've mentioned the signings already. Uh, they were needed to bolster the, the strength of the side? Look, the, the facts are, last year, everyone talks about our batting and, and we pretty much played the same six batters the whole time and they all had really, really good years. But I guess the, the whole thing was, um, you know, we probably needed at least one more with the development of Ben McKinney still ongoing and, you know, as the under-19s captain, we have, you know, high hopes for Ben in the the longer form and the white ball game. So we felt that a a go-to middle-order player, but who could also bowl as well in in all formats because our top order, except for Scotty Borthwick, probably none of them bowled, which also put a bit of pressure on our, our bowling stocks. So, um, you know, the fact that we brought in Colin Ackerman, who I think he's made over 10,000 first-class runs. Obviously, I know him very well from his Dutch playing days as well. I think it adds that extra bit of class to our batting makeup, um, which, again, is another layer. And, look, the facts are that when it comes to spin, I think we changed our whole philosophy last year when I, you know, went to Marcus and said that I wanted a overseas spinner, which everyone thought couldn't work, but, you know, that overseas spinner in Kuhneman and then Patel and then, you know, Parkinson when he was uh, came on loan actually was our third highest wicket taker and it was so important to us. So, you know, a, a quality English spinner was one of the necessities I felt that and, you know, Marcus, who does a brilliant job up here, um, was very quick. He wanted Callum Parkinson. He felt he's, you know, he's upside is still a long way away. In fact, my biggest fear is he's going to end up playing for England very far, very quickly, um, which could put a spanner in the works. But that if that happens, it happens. But by adding those two guys, I think it gives us extra batting, extra options in what we, what we can do. And they're also really, really good white ball players, which I've spoken about, which we're trying to address as well. So I think... That adds a, another layer to to our cricket. I do, honestly don't know what our batting lineup's going to be in the first uh, game of the year, which is there's you know pressure is on for spots in the team, which uh, could be interesting to watch. But um, like I say, I think what it's going to do is give Durham a very very impressive cricket team. Well, Durham last winners of the county championship in 2013. 
it's going to you're going to play some tough sides in in Div- division one 100 percent. you know they're, they're great teams in there and um you know our our goal will be to beat surrey um you know i know that stewie uh, pretends that no one everyone uh is jealous of them and all this sort of stuff but it's not jealousy it's the fact that they've set the benchmark of what a first class team has to be in england and you know we're gunning to come and get them you know that's the facts you know we don't play them until september but until then we'll be trying to put as much pressure on them by beating everyone else and and playing really good cricket against everyone else and you know like i say if we can get our brand across and play it the way we want to play it i think we can be competitive against anyone i think the signing of scott boland pretty much straight away showed to everyone that you know what Gee, they are serious. They've brought in another fast bowler who, um, you know, along with Carson Potts, is pretty impressive uh, makeup of a team. Throw into the facts that a bloke who bats left hand and maybe a captain of England suddenly uh, has pulled out of the IPL, gives him a few weeks off in April, May before that first test match. And he might need to play a few games of cricket, which could be handy. Um, you know, you've got the, the, I think the, the formula and the basis of a very, very good cricket team. Again, we, we're going to, like most, keep our fingers crossed for, um, you know, keeping our bowling staff injury-free and, you know, Carson Potts, who knows what's going to happen with them. But, you know, if we can get them on the park, suddenly if you've got Rain, Cars, Potts, Boland, it's pretty good for fast bowlers to uh, start your season. Sounds like it. Uh, finally, what's it been like living as an Aussie in the UK? It snowed this morning for the first time this this winter, um, and it just reminded me of how cold it does get up here. But you know, I'm a Perth boy. I went home for a couple of weeks, and you know, my mum and dad, I love them to bits, obviously. And you know, they're what are they, eighty odd and ninety odd moaning that it was only 33 degrees well my son was uh, feeling like it was melting um was quite humorous but um i'll i'll be honest i don't think i'll ever quite get used to the cold even i've spent what five or six years in the netherlands and this is my first year in england full time it's still cold to the bones but what i will say the northeast is a wonderful place to live it's so hospitable. The people are so friendly and nice. Um, you know, my my kids walk down with me to to Durham. They look at the cathedral. They think well, they know that Harry Potter was filmed there. They think they're living in a wonderland. So um, yeah, it's been fantastic. Even you know, this year in summer, I had a couple of days off. We we did the old uh, hire an RV and and drove up the northeast coast and. You know, some of the places up there, Bammenberg and these sort of places are unbelievably beautiful. So, yeah, we're very we're very lucky. And I, like I say, never thought I'd say this, but I think I'm going to be end up living in England for quite some time. Of course, unless I get sacked after this year or something. But generally, I think I'll be in England for a while. Well, hopefully not. that's not the case. You're not going to get sacked. And, and Durham are going to have a, a, a very successful 2024 season. I've not seen a game at... Durham so I've never been up to Durham to watch cricket so I must make a make a journey up there I'll hold you to that mate I look forward to seeing you up here are you all okay health-wise 
Hundred percent, yeah. So I've, uh, you know, obviously we keep a close eye on what's going on, and um, you know the docs are always in check, and you know I have my regular checkups and stuff, and you know they're they're very happy with the way I am, and uh, obviously there'll always be something in the back of my mind worried, but um, you know at the end of the day they've done the research, they've looked into it, they feel that I'm in perfect shape, um, and my heart's going well, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take their uh, their advice as, as gospel and, and push on and uh, keep enjoying my life. I've even started back in the gym, which I haven't done since since the time, uh, well, April t- 2022 when my cardiac arrest happened. So I'm actually trying to get a bit fitter and healthier at the moment, which is quite painful, to be honest. <laughs> oh, that sounds good for a, for a cricket coach. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Ryan, for coming back on the, the paddock and the pavilion i'm going to put this uh, show out over the the christmas period uh, a happy christmas to you and best wishes to you and your family and to durham county cricket club for 2024 thanks mate thanks for having me and like and obviously have a merry christmas and a happy new year sports social podcast network